Welcome, everyone, to the second edition of The Story Fits. My name is Mike Fitzgibbons, and I'm here for an hour of talk mostly about good news. Uh, we're going to spend some time with uh, with a guest, and then we're going to tell a few stories, and hopefully I'll share a couple stories that I've, have been shared with me by the last time we, t- the last time we were on. Uh, this is, again, The Story Fits. If you do want to check out the last show, you can check out my website, which I'm going to mention a lot more this show than I did last time, goodnewsfitsall.com. Then uh, Fitz has to be F-I-T-Z because, you know, there's the pun. Good News Fits All, and I'm Mike Fitzgibbons. And this is the story Fitz, F-I-T-Z. With me today is Bob Lyman. Uh, Bob Lyman is uh, uh, the big kahuna at Windy City uh, Financial Planners and Sequoia Wealth Management. Uh, but that's not why he's here. He's here today because he does a lot of really interesting and cool things with uh, with a group called Sports Leader and and a charity called Game Changers, and we're going to talk a lot about that. and And it's really good stuff. Uh, it's about helping coaches coach better. It's about helping players. It's about players finding out what virtue is. It's about coaches coaching with virtue. And so, with no further ado, Bob, good afternoon. How you doing? Hi, Fitz. Nice to be here. Yeah. It, uh, the prediction is that we are not going to be able to shut up for, for more than an hour, Bob. Is that... Is that uh, is Sounds that, like a safe bet. I take I take the over. <laughs> you take the over. You know, Bob, uh, you go back to uh, the South Side and Visitation Grammar School in 54th to Peoria. Um, so do I. And uh, now I got out of there in fifth grade. We had a move. And uh, when did you get out of there, Bob? I got out of there in fourth grade. In fourth grade. When you're a vis person, folks, uh, if you live in the Midwest, you know what a vis person is. Everybody knows what a visitation person is, and every, you know, it's kind of like being in a in a dinner party with the Notre Dame grad, isn't it, Bob? You know, yeah, a little bit. You're <laughs> gonna find out sooner or later about the domers. You're gonna find out about the vis. About the vis people. So Bob and I, Bob and I go way back. His four children went to Carmel Catholic High School. Now I'm the I'm one of the campus ministers there and have been for 42 years, uh, which means I must have started. That when I was seven or eight, but um, I was uh, I'm a campus minister, and I, and I worked with all four of Bob's children, and we got to know each other pretty well through all of that. And then when you find out somebody's a Viz guy, and he finds out you're a Viz guy, well, that's the way it goes. And so through all that, we you know we talk about various things, and I and one of the things you find out if you looked at my website is I do a lot of team building work, I do a lot of lock-ins, and and I do lock-ins for girls teams, boys teams, and Catholic schools and public schools and it's interesting the difference uh obviously you you know when you're in a catholic school i I've, every time i do one for a catholic school we finish with a prayer service or communion service you, you're not doing that at a public school you know that you, you you can't say the g word uh but you can certainly allude to it and and certainly the the players and of, on all sports boys and girls and the coaches understand when you're doing it and you've come to realize that too correct bob now could you tell us about sports leader yeah so sports leader i, I got introduced i'm sure by the holy spirit because it wasn't what i went to do i went to have lunch with a couple of fraternity brothers and uh ended up talking i had one of my favorite book is a book um it's called the season of life by a guy named joe Ehrman. And the season of life really tells a story of a walk, a, a gentleman who was a All-American uh, high school football player, went to Syracuse and was an All-American, and then became a All-Pro football player back with Burt Jones and the Colts. So, Fitz, you're old enough to remember those days. I do remember Burt Jones, okay. and I thought I was the only one. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I remember him as well. But he would, this guy was an all-American, kind of like a Dan Hampton kind of guy from the from the '85 Bears. And um, but he, when he tells his story, you find out like a lot of us, a lot of people we interact with, what is on the top, what is on the surface, and what's on the underneath are two different things. And so there's a lot of brokenness in the world. And he went back and tried to, um, when he got done with football tried to go back and say, how can I make an impact? How can I make a difference? Actually went to the Divinity School, became a minister, uh, moved his family of four back into Baltimore in the inner city. And he said he was trying to break through and the institutions were so strong, the poverty, the drugs, the everything that went on, he couldn't break the cycle. He was very frustrated because he was an idealist and he thought he could do that by himself. But what he found out was when he would talk to people, whether they were very young or they're getting near death, he would sit down and talk to him and they would always ask him about his ring he had a championship ring and so they look at his ring and they'd say tell me about the ring and so he'd give his little speech about the ring and he says obviously tell me what what, what what's interesting is about sports to you tell me your story and they all have a story fits like the story fits they all have a story and everybody would tell him a story and he said it usually came down to one or two stories it was a good story it was about some coach somewhere in that person's life who said, you know something, I see something in you, Fitz, that you don't see in yourself. There's excellence in you. There's something I see that's unbelievable, and God's given you a gift, and it's my pleasure to try to work with you and develop that gift. And when you had that, you had that experience, you'd run through a brick wall for that coach, and they'd bring out the best you could do. But guess what? There was also another coach who's probably good-intentioned, but they said, you know what? You're 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 never going to be anything. You you came from a family that wasn't anything and you're not going to do anything. And they still at 88 and 90 years old still remember that coach. Still remember that talk that day, what it was like that day and they're stuck in that spot. And so he said, I want to make sure I can work with the coaches so that they're on the right side of that conversation. And so they built a program and the book is about how do we build virtue with people? Because you can't talk about God in the public school, and we do this program in a lot of public arenas, but you can talk about virtue anywhere, right? So we're at Naperville Central High School, or we're at Huntley High School, and I can't walk in and talk to the superintendent and all the degrees, they got more degrees than a thermometer, some of these guys, you know, doctor this and doctor that, but you know what, when I, when I get done, I can talk to them about virtue. We all have that in common. So that's, that's how I got started in Sports Leader. It's a virtue program we do for young kids. We do in young, all kinds of Catholic schools. We do in Catholic high schools. We're into Providence. We're into Nazareth for the last eight years. And it's been a really a humbling, great journey to go through lots of youth programs. They do in colleges all over the Midwest. Uh, but it's really been a humbling journey. You did it. You did it. Uh locally here with the with the youth group didn't you yeah we've done it at a number of mundelein including mundelein football um you know again it's it's one thing to talk about it on a you know ten thousand foot view it's another thing to be a coach and it's really here to support coaches because the coach unfortunately has a bullseye on their back you know the kids want playing time they all think they're better than anybody else the parents think their kids better than anybody else and they are a division one scholarship athlete and everybody else has got an opinion and if something's rose wrong it's the coach he's got a bullseye you know that child's trying to do the best thing they can on a friday night and somebody runs by him and scores a touchdown it's got to be the coach you know something's wrong with the coach coach has got to go and they feel that heat every day and when they do the natural thing is is fighter well let me think if i can relate to that at all uh, that feeling of 
that pressure being on. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I was the head football coach at Carmel from 1986 to 1997. And I kind of do remember feeling the eyeballs on me on on Friday nights. Uh, And you know what, though? You you go into it and you're knowing that's going to happen. And I had a lot of great teachers growing up as a coach uh, that taught me. And I had a lot of great teachers teach me they were really great teaching me what not to do and you know it's it's clearly it's easy to see you know uh no doubt it's a humbling walk it's a humbling walk it really is and you know you go all the way back to little league that's what you made me think of unfortunately i usually think of a great positive story and i did think of a great guy i coached with who really was a big influence to me a guy named mike dunn who was (laughs) it's just a great coach and and he really first instilled in my head that I could be a head coach. Uh, where, where would you meet Dunn? Mike Dunn was at Carmel for a year in between being a head coach at, uh, at at Waukegan East and Round Lake High School, but he was at Aurora Central Catholic for years, and and he his sister's Nora Dunn from the old Saturday Night Live shows, and, and, he, and he's a brother that's been in a lot of movies. Uh, quite quite a guy, but you know, he was one year, and he taught me he taught me a lot uh, about, about coaching and about life, and he's the first person that made me think that I could be a head coach. But when you mentioned negative, I thought of my I thought of Little League. I thought of striking out with the bases loaded and the championship game and my manager when I got to the dugout with crying with the bat in my hand and my manager looking at me and saying way to go all-star because <laughs> I was on the all-star team wow. <laughs> and, and you know I'm sorry that was the experience it was but but what you said was now I am 62 years old and I rem- I was 12. Okay. That's 50 years ago, and I remember that moment like it was 20 minutes ago, okay. and you were like it was when you were telling the story. So, yeah. well, you know, I, my, my my remembrance of that fits as I went into high school, four foot eleven and 92 pounds, right? But I hit with everything I had, which wasn't much, right? And so I remember uh, going in. I got they brought me up to sophomore football, and so I, I really I looked like a helmet and pads and a couple of cleats going underneath it. And uh, I remember hitting a guy, and I, I my uh, mentor was Doug, Doug Plank. He used to knock people out. He used to spear everybody, and he'd, he'd hit them so hard that he'd knock himself out or knock the other guy out, right? And so I hit, and I, I got up and saw stars, and I didn't see anything. And the coach came over the top, and he was screaming over the top, and he said, are you dead? He said, the only people who lay on the ground are dead people. If you're not dead, get up right now. And to this day, and every time I, I see someone, down, I see him over the top of me screaming at me, get up right now. Get if you're not right dead, now. get up right now. What? I, I'm sure I was concussed about a hundred ways to sign. So, so, and I am too. And boy, what would happen to him if he said that in 2017? Yeah, different, different ballgame. Different ballgame completely. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Right now he'd be screaming over, "Stay put, stay put." Stay. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'd say to you the one thing I remember distinctly, and we were talking a little bit about parents, and I, I think parents go into it with the right idea. And I'm a parent of four, and hopefully I had a realistic look at it. I love my children; they were a gift. But I didn't have any false impressions that they were here to, you know, surplant, you know, Babe Ruth or Michael Jordan or anyone in their field. And uh, so I remember distinctly, I, I had one of our first games. We were coaching Mundline football, and they weren't winning a lot of games. So we won a game, and we were down in Bartlett. And afterwards, we had a little barbecue, and the kids were all there. And we have a nice community, and the kids were talking. And um, we had been doing sports later for about uh, three, four weeks when it came in. And this mother came over, and I could tell she was not happy. If you look at a mom and you know when a mom's not happy, um, you know, that that's not somebody to mess with. Right? A mom's not happy, don't mess. And she had that look and she said, where's Coach Bob? Who is Coach Bob and where is he? 
And I'm like, oh, boy, I wish my name wasn't Bob. <laughs> there was no other Bob to look for. So I okay. So I, I walked. I said, I, I got her, and I knew enough to get her over to the side. All the kids were there. I didn't want to have a scene. I know I was in trouble. I know my way around trouble. So I walked her over to the side. I said, I'm Coach Bob. How can I help you? She said, what are you doing with my son? And I said, I'm really sorry. Which, which one's your son? You know, so she pointed out her son. We'll leave him nameless. And so I, I talked to him, and she said, let me tell you about my son. He was a great kid, and about two years ago, he fell into some bad company, and he turned into a punk. And he said, he went from being a great student to being a terrible student. He was nothing but trouble around my house, and my he treated his sisters terribly, and he's disrespectful to me, and his father travels. So every time he'd leave, whatever I'd say to him, he'd roll his eyes and slam the door and everything else. And I've been living with this for two years. Every time I go to school, the teachers, I know what I'm going in for. It's always one story's worse than the next. And she says, so you meet this guy four weeks ago, and all of a sudden, he's taking out the garbage. All of a sudden, he's doing his homework. All of a sudden, he's doing all these things. She goes, I don't care if he ever plays a play on the field. I want to know what did you do to my son? What is going on with my son? And part of the sports leader curriculum is we sit with the kids because in leadership, in any leadership, you usually got about 10 people deep. Most people go less than that. But you would talk to the offensive line coach. You, you coach the offensive line, defensive line, D-backs, whatever you got. And you talk to that group. You get to know them intimately. And so every week we talk through a virtue. And so at the beginning of the year, we'd say, tell us what your goal is. Not my goal for them, their goal for me about school. And then I would ask them every week, how are we doing in school? Is there something I can help? Is there something I could do? Nobody asked these kids. People ask me in my house. My parents are both teachers. I got to ask that every day. But people never ask them. I'd say, tell me what's going on in your family. This is you said you want to be a better brother, right? You said, I said, you want to be a better son. What does that mean to you, right? Help me understand how would I measure that when I, when I wake up at the end of the season if you're a better son. And he talked about taking out the garbage. And he talked about treating with his mom with respect and telling his mom he loved her, right? Those weren't my words. Those were his words. But all we did is I had the sheet every time before I met with him once a week. I said, how you doing with the garbage? How you doing with whatever it is? Well, it's been absolutely humbling to see what these kids come up with. Now, you and I have talked about the millennials. They got skill sets that us baby boomers only wish we had. Wish we had, and we don't even know about. So, so you know, can we stand this for one minute, though? I, I like, I'm intrigued by this virtue thing. So, and you said it before when you said you could talk to the, the, the superintendent about virtue. You can talk about God, but you can talk about virtue. And you can talk to coaches about virtue, and you talk to kids about virtue. Mm-hmm. And then you just said we, we do a virtue a week. So can you give us a couple, give us a, give us a rundown, yeah, a couple so examples? Again, it's 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 a paint by numbers. That's the good news because I couldn't reinvent it, and I wouldn't go to talk to any coach or anybody I saw if I didn't see a you know uh, rinse and repeat kind of thing. You know, just just foam it up, rinse and repeat. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. But what happens with these guys is they have a program, they lay it out. The coaches can look at the virtues, decide what fits for homecoming week, what fits for your big rivalry, go through any virtues and put it in. But I give you an example. All, all we tell people is that and they understand a virtue is a good habit that we do again and again and again, right? A vice is a bad habit we do again and again. We all know what our vices are, but what are those virtues that we want to work on? So the example I give you is um, one of the one of the virtues would be nobility. Right? When I say nobility to kids, they think I'm going back to 
Game of Thrones or something, you know, they, they go through. But all virtue of nobility means to me is keeping your word no matter what. So, Fitz, if you give me your word and you're telling me you're going to do something, I know you're going to get busy and life's going to happen, but you're going to follow through and you're going to do it, right? If that means to me, I'm going to give it the best shot, the best fundamentals to make this block, make this tackle, guard this area, whatever my focus is, that's what I'm going to do. And so a vice is, I know I tried that, but I gave it the college try and I didn't do it and I came up short. But that's the deal. So we tell them a story. The story. So the way out. So the vice is the opposite of the no, no of the virtue. Of the virtue. Correct. So when you're saying nobility, so a vice, the, uh, the a nobility is I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. No matter what. No matter what. So the vice that would offset that. Excuses. And making excuses. I say, say Fitch, I'm going to do this thing for you, and then I make excuses and you come up. So that rings true in our society today a lot with young people. When you use the word nobility like that, okay, the word they might not use the word nobility, but they hear that a lot. Yeah. You follow through. Or you don't follow through. Okay, so now what's your story to back that up? So back it up. So it's not my story, but it's a true story. So in 1989 in Armenia, and they don't know where Armenia is, so I have to pull out a map or explain what Eastern Europe looks like. And in Armenia, they had an earthquake. And the earthquake was bigger than we had in Haiti, bigger than we had a long time ago in San Francisco. And 30,000-plus people die in the first hour, right? And so this father, not unlike you and myself, runs to the school where he has an eighth-grade son and says, where is the eighth grade class? And everybody's in shock and they're crying and you can imagine the scene and there's nothing but rubble. And he says, he says, where's my class? And they said, it doesn't matter. Everybody's dead. It doesn't matter. He said, no, show me where the class is. So he goes to the class and he starts digging and he's trying to pull back, you know, concrete and pieces and everything. He's an old guy, like you and Fitz, you and I Fitz. And I tell that to the kids. I say, you know, go push the sled for 20 minutes. Go push it for an hour. This is 12 hours later. This old guy is keep digging, keep pushing, keep digging, keep pushing. 24 hours, he's still digging. 36 hours, he's still digging. And the 30, after 38 hours, pulls the last boulder. Here's 14 kids stuck underneath there with the son, one of which is his son. And they're alive. And they're alive. And he's, the son says, see, I told you my dad gave me his word. He'd never give up on me. He'd always be there no matter what. Right? When I tell that story, even I've told that story a hundred times, I still get chills. I got chills. Right? That's the second time I've heard it today. And it, I get chills. Yeah. But you know what the deal is? For you and I, because you and I understand, we've had people in our lives who had our back. You know, the military guys say you have your six. Right? Somebody had our back. What I found out after I told the story, Fitz, is one of my players, one of my favorite people, I still mentor him today, came up to me and said, Coach, that's a great story, but that's a lie. Because you know what? Nobody's ever, no adults ever told me the truth and followed up. My father was going to come to every game. He's never been to one. My dad was going to come to every wrestling meet. He's never been to one. Right? And I'm like, wow. Right? That's my autobiographical experience. It's not his experience. But I can start then as a coach, as a mentor, to start something and say, Let's have a noble relationship. Let's. You tell me you're going to do something, I'm going to follow up. But I expect reciprocity. I expect the same with you. And it's amazing. The, it's so humbling to see what happens in those relationships when you take a little time to feed them with virtue and take a little time to, to get involved and encounter people where they're at. There's a lot of brokenness out there. And when they see that virtue, in spite of the 
brokenness, they see that there is virtue, and they see that it's alive and well, and exactly, and actually its heart is pounding well, just like mm-hmm. the opposite side, which they hear enough about, goodness gracious, yeah. and they live a lot sometimes. Yeah. They don't know there's good news. Yeah. When they hear there is good news, and it lasts, it's not just like a lollipop, it lasts, right. then great things can happen. Absolutely. And then the, the, the thing is, stuff sounds sappy to me for where we grew up, but we tell the kids... Your job is to love each other, right? That, that's not anything I learned anytime I played football in my life. Nobody had that conversation with me. And our job as coaches is to love you. That's our job. That, that's as simple as the game is, right? Well, you're assuming that they get that, that they're part of that conversation. They don't, and the coaches may not because they're not feeling loved. They're, not, they're, not, they're feeling like they got a bullseye on their back. And so my job is to get the parents off of your back. My job is to get the kids so they're focused on many things in their life that are life-giving to them so that, guess what else they do? They start playing for each other. Um, I'll give you an example. We went to Naperville Center. I had a friend of mine who's the head coach there. Yeah, they had they had an unbelievable history there going through. Having a little bit of rough pets, but they one of the toughest conferences, you know, about playing a tough conference. DuPage Valley, that's I mean, one of the best. They're, they're lining up every week going at it and so you know he says you win with great kids you great great horses that you go through anybody can coach a team with great horses you got you got medium you see what you're made of right so he goes through well they went through in the second year he said to me bob this was one of the most humbling experience ever in through life they had a team that got out of the division made it to the playoffs they won the state championship in 8 now this is the second year after sports there he wrote me a letter at the end of the season i still have it today and it says bobby i appreciate you more than i can tell you i'm so sorry it took me so long to come around to this idea but you made me a better father you made me a better man and you made me a better coach right we win state championships because you got good horses, but I can never look at these kids again. The relationships and the thing we're doing, that's going to last a lifetime. And I can't thank you enough for what you do. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with implementing a program, being about the kids, and being about the right stuff, which well, is what you uh, well, do all the time. Well, he's not, yeah, and, and he's not, uh, I, what I like is what he said. He said, Coach Third. You know, and, and he talked about being a better man and a better husband first. And, you know, when you think about coach is a role, it's a job, you know, and you're not going to be any good at it, really. I coach for a lot of years. You're not going to be any good at it unless you're doing the first things first. And, you know, a lot of people think it's selfish to take care of number one. You have to take care of number one. In order to, you want to be a great person? You want to get out and spread the gospel? You want to do that? You better take care of yourself first. You got to keep the house clean. And then, you know, it's like I tell like in my counseling office, I tell couples this, you know, they, 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 they flip-flop it and take care of the kids. All oh, everything's about the kids. I'm like, no, 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 no. Take care of you. Take care of each other. You take care of it yourself. Then take care of the couple. Then the kids, you'll be better parents. Right. That, that unfortunately, fits. that's what's gotten mixed up in a lot of things we see today, you know, is we see the things. We've lost that. That's your vocation. Last time I looked, I love my bride to death. I outkicked my coverage just like you did, right? But you know what the, you know, the deal is? Is... My wife is my vocation. Getting my wife to heaven, that's my vocation when I got married. And then we had children, we were blessed with children. And my next vocation is get them to heaven. But it's in that order. But that that has a lot of vision to it, Bob. I, I, get my wife to heaven, I, that has vision. Here's what My vision is a lot shorter. It's just keeping her happy today. Happy <laughs> wife, happy life. Happy wife, happy life. I think we're coming up on a break here. And uh, I'm with Bob Lyman. 
uh, fascinating. Speaking about sports center, sports leader, and uh, game changers. amount of your assets in a safe place with guaranteed interest rates to protect yourself from a huge market swing? Are you amazed at how low the interest rates are at your bank? If you said yes to any or all of those questions, you may want to call me, Matt Tomlinson, at Catholic Financial Life to discuss our guaranteed fixed rate annuities. Call 847-548-MATT, 847-548-6288. Products not available in all states. Did you know that you can listen to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio from anywhere in the world? Our live internet stream is available at wsfiradio.org. Just click on Listen Live. We also stream on the TuneIn mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. For iPhone and iPad users, visit the App Store, download the TuneIn app, sign up for a free account, and then search for WSFI. Click Follow to add us to your profile. For Android users, visit the Google Play Store, download the TuneIn app, sign up for a free account, and then search for WSFI. Click Follow to add us to your profile. Need help? Call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Welcome back, folks, to The Story Fits. I'm Mike Fitzgibbons. I'm the host of the show, The Story Fits. And, you know, I didn't mention much the first half. Uh, goodnewsfitsall.com is my website. And you could, you know, if you missed part of the show and you want to hear it, you know, you can get the podcast. There's all kinds of interesting things on that, that website, including my email address, michael.fitzgibbons at yahoo.com. Because I'm going to be wanting to hear from you folks. And it, that email address is repeated on the website. I'm going to want to hear from you, especially as we get into the latter part of the show and we're talking about some stories that just have direct to do at Christmas. Um, I'm with Bob Lyman. Uh, Bob Lyman is uh, 
the boss man over at Windy City Financial Planners and Sequoia Wealth Man- Management. But we've been talking about Sports Leader and the amazing work they've been doing uh, at Sports Leader. And, you know, Bob, you were about to get to, before the break, you were about to get to uh, Game Changers, which is uh, a charity that's near and dear to your heart, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, and it's connected to a, a person who's near and dear to your heart who passed away in the last couple of years, but really was, uh, he was involved in sports leader too, wasn't he? And, he was and involved in lots of things. Lots of things. And he's got, just give us a quick re- yeah. rundown of his life and why yeah, Game so, Changers. So Ted Schmidt was one of the most fascinating guys I've ever met in my life. I, I served on the Archdiocesan Pastoral Council and uh, met uh, Cardinal George asked me to uh, call him and introduce him. He had heard a little bit about Sports Leader, what I was doing. He knew Ted's background. He put us together. And so for, very blessed to go meet him. Met him. Character. You get North Side guy. You and I get a kick out of him anyway. But uh, really, really good people. And loved sports. Loved everything. He was the head football coach. Played college football um, over in uh, Indiana. Division three football player. Was the first head football coach at Driscoll High School. Um, out of school. So it rings a bell with you. And uh, he went to Northwest and got a degree in film and so back when they first started all of the cable TV there was a bunch of small stations who had distribution and Ted went to work for Universal Studios and he sold the content so if you think about you're up at 3 in the morning what are they going to watch they don't have a show produced so Ted would give them the content the old movies the old shows and things that they had and he became top salesperson in the country eventually was making movies and doing all kinds of things without in California and started um, saying you know I love this but I really love sports and so he called back he used to he knew Bo Schembechler and he said Bo you got to come out here to Southern California you can't believe the talent out here and Bo says I can't go out there why don't you scout for me he said I can't do it and he says I'm gonna send a young guy out there why don't you scout and so they found a Monty Toomer they found a guy named Tom Brady they found all these guys Ted was doing this on the side out in California and sent him in Michigan and so when I met him he decided in his 50s he was gonna call a timeout in life he was doing things that were important was make a lot of money he wanted to move his life to significance to go with some from importance to significance and in significance he started he was up in Lake Geneva he was up in Lake Delavan that area started to go to daily mass of all things and that wasn't particularly Ted and the guy tapped him on the shoulder one day uh, they talk about if you see something say something and he said to him he said you know what he said uh, Ted I think you'd make a great priest and Ted turned around and said who are you talking to you can't be talking to me and sure enough in his 50s he prayed about it and went over here to Mundelein to the seminary and became a priest and so he comes out a priest in his late 50s was over at St. Monica's over it's a policeman fireman uh, parish over right near O'Hare and uh, he walks in with great things about Ted he never made small plans so he walked in and he said to uh, the people his first meeting gets together he says what do we do great here what's the thing that we do great at this place and they said like they said a lot of places you know what our school's half full and we got problems with enrollment and the finances don't work and people aren't coming to church and fill in the blank blah 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 could be any parish and he said I don't think you understand the question the question is what do we do great here and they said well we don't do anything great here and he said well we're going to fix that and so he thought about it and they prayed about it and they came back with they were going to make the first green school right in chicago and so they said what is that he says i'm not sure but we're going to be great at it and so he called up chicago botanical and said could you come over and look at our grounds and we're going to redo it 
give us a new landscape architectural plan how we should do everything and they did it for free and he, he called waste management and said can you come over and show us how we could do this thing environmentally sound and recycle and they said absolutely and they came in and knowing what he did he made movies he knew how to make a main event he said called out chicago tribune and said could you come over and uh, run an article on us in parade magazine this is going to be a big event you're going to get the exclusive for the first green school in chicago well, you know what? That's what happened. They went to standing room only at the school. They had to put in six mobile classrooms in the school. Um, the youth thing took off. The everything. He got shipped out afterwards. Shipped out. Cardinal George reassigned him. They reassigned after six years. Went out. He got school. shipped out. He got, yeah, okay, you got it. So he, he goes. He goes to a school out in Carroll Stream or Streamwood out there. Uh, same exact thing. Same exact story. Guess what? They win a blue ribbon. I go over there and see him. He's got four new mobile classrooms in a, in a place that was half full you know that's going through and he could not make a small plan he didn't know how to do it you'd be around him you'd be invigorated because you're around him. And he's a human like all the rest of us and and he was involved with you at sports leader and so this game changers what what's what is that all about really fast well, he was he was involved and, and it became the chaplain it was a chaplain at st patrick's high school and then again at nazareth and uh did an amazing job behind the scenes him, him and doc nelson and uh all of them worked with tim radke and their group over there they went back to backstage championships and uh he'd be having them you know doing confessions at practice and doing all the things he did on the side obviously mass before every game and uh he unfortunately died um a week after they had it the whole nazareth team was at the uh funeral it was a beautiful affair but he left a bucket of money behind and he he asked tom nelson a group of us to to be on the board and um what we do is we decided we're not going to reinvent the wheel we're going to reinvest where it's needed and one of the things that we do is we do a lot of work with uh, uh, Catholic organizations in sports. And so uh, I don't know if you know Burke Masters. He's a great guy and a great friend of mine. But his thought was he loved baseball. He thinks baseball is the best game ever played. Um, and it, obviously Jesus is the best story ever told. And he put them together. For the last three years, we've run a Catholic baseball camp. And it's, it's down at Providence. Now it's been at Bennett Academy. And so we get 150 kids coming to a, a baseball camp where we start every day with mass and uh, have drills and do everything, bring in professional players and coaches and everything. At the end of the day, we have nine priests come in at each position and they have nine confessions. Um, it's amazing the dynamic that goes on with the parents for three days and what goes on. And so uh, amazing that now we have a Catholic soccer camp for boys and girls. We have a Catholic hockey camp. They're going to have Catholic football camp next year. Um, we're doing stuff with the uh, men's ministry. We're getting 150 men to show up on a Tuesday or Wednesday night and go to adoration and break, a, you know, break bread and have a meal and go through. So instead of us trying to do it all these things are being done by these groups and so we help make sure they got scholarships and if they need seed money and we do the things we use that from the funds that ted set aside in game changers and the other half is we're doing a lot of work with the priests because the priests are the ones that are out there front line unfortunately are spending about 90 percent of their time in administration and about 10 percent ministry and they're great great guys um and the deal is is any way we can help them and their brokenness and what we can do in healing with them is something we're focused on and working with so well yeah and that that's uh, that's not what was happening that is happening and that's happening now uh that's just one of the or two 
this hour was two of the great stories going on. Uh, this is the story fits. Goodnewsfitsall.com is my website. You can get a podcast. You get the podcast, the last show we did with uh, Zach Ryan, who's head basketball coach at Carmel. Uh, you you can or you can listen to this one again. And and but this is Bob Lyman speaking of uh, sports leader and game changers. And and boy, that's really something. Those camps are that that is really really something. What a great idea. What another great idea. And again, folks, that's what what I wanted to do here is 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 tell stories that are good stories, happy stories, good news stories, instead of stories that are, gosh, you know, I, I talked last time, Bob, about us being hardwired to hear bad news. And I think that we get it. We get it from the crib on, and, and that's what we, and I, I don't think it's natural. Mm. I think that we'd rather not. But that's what's tossed at us. Uh, that's what gets bought up, and that's so that's what we hear. And so you know, you, it doesn't take much energy to find the good news stories. Um, it doesn't take. Uh, I looked around just for this show because it's Christmas time, and in Clarksburg, West Virginia, in one of the poorest areas of Clarksburg, which is poor to begin with, their sheriff's deputies. Uh, they take uh, they they raise this money every year 120 bucks per kid it's up to 230 kids now the deputy goes and takes the kid they use a lot of retired deputies which makes it even cooler they take the kid they get 120 bucks they go to the store they get a shopping cart and they go okay kid what do you want it's christmas time and they walk them they walk them through and 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 they had a couple interviews in the story the way i read it was perfect this one deputy says that my, his favorite part is every single time he's done it, one of these kids wants to buy something for one of his siblings or one of his parents. Mm. They don't only want the stuff for them. Every single time. And that's 230 kids. Now, that might not sound like a lot, but, but it is a lot. You know, um, it's uh, to me, to, well, that's what it's all about. And, and that's one of the, if you think about West Virginia, and you think about Clarksburg, West Virginia, that's going on there. That's like uh, you were talking earlier about inner city Baltimore and inner city Chicago. Like uh, we told a story uh, when Joe May was on with the drive time. We told a story about this this policeman, this white Chicago policeman who um, they had SAT going on at one of the inner city schools. And you know how they got to lock those things down. Sure. 8.30 in the morning on a Saturday. 8.35, they hear the sirens coming, and here comes the sirens, and, and it gets closer, closer, closer. It's a police car. They hear the buzzer. The bell's being rung. The test has already begun. The armed guard opens the door with the principal, and here's a white Chicago cop, and he said, is the SAT begun? And she said, well, yeah, five minutes ago. Can you take him? And there's a, a young black teenager in the back seat of his car. He said, what happened? She, he said he left his house two and a half hours ago to get here to take his ACT. His bus got in an accident. He's been sitting on the back of the bus for two hours. He wants to take his SAT. Will you please take him? And she said, bring him in. She brought him in, and she wanted to turn around, get his name, and say thank you. The car was gone. Wow. He didn't want his name known. He just wanted to, no, he just wanted to, and she said so many good things happen because of that. Now, you got a young man who gets to take his SAT, who's a smart kid who's going to go to college. You got a young man who's going to go home and say, wait a minute, all white Chicago cops aren't bad people. I took my SAT because of one. That's just a great story. And she put it out there. She's the one who put it out there. And, and, you know, uh, there's a guy, and mentioned a couple people's names, that really inspired me this week. This is just this week. Bernard Darty. He's a Frenchman. He's a Jewish man 
who grew up in the uh, his first his first years were in the Holocaust, and he hid outside in the outskirts of Paris with his sister. And he, you know, it started when he was seven. He watched his mom try to find out about his brother who got taken, and then his mom was running away and she got caught. Dad was already gone. They both died at Auschwitz. Her brother got died at another place, another one of the camps. He and his sister hid various houses the suburbs of Paris throughout the war. And he says he never forget watching the Americans enter Paris. Mm. And, and his, and his uh, comment is, uh, first they saved us, then they welcomed us. Mm. And so he went on and made millions. And then he bought a house in, in Florida. And he spends half his time in Florida, half his time in the outskirts of Paris. And he says, first they saved us, then they welcomed us. He goes, I get to Florida, and they treat me like I'm like I'm some savior. It's like I'm, I'm just a, another guy, and yet all these people are. Like, oh, you're from France. Come on, you. And he said he could not believe how the how these elderly Americans in his new neighborhood treated him. And he said, "Well, I couldn't. I believe it. That's how they treated me when they when they saved me in World War II." So what he did was he gave a million dollars to the Wounded Warrior Project. This just happened two weeks ago. A million dollars to the Wounded Warrior Project. He said. That's the least I could do. That's his quote. Well, the two quotes. First they saved us, then they welcomed us. That's what caught me. Was first they saved us, then they welcomed us. How's that? You know, like yeah, it's unbelievable. Random acts of kindness. Well, and that's we talked. We talked about our lad. The there's uh, a young man who uh, who struggled, and we both know him uh, of him. And he and he's uh, and yet he he's a good guy, and he drives by this guy every day on his way home, and. This guy's got a sign up that says he's a veteran, and he's thinking, well, he's faking to be a veteran so he gets people to give him money, help a veteran. Well, then one day he stops, and they're in a, soon they're in a restaurant, and he's buying the guy a meal. Now, what possesses a junior boy in high school to get a guy, a homeless guy, into his car? I think the parents might want to be thinking about that. But he's in the car with them, and he go and they go get they go get a meal, and then he hears the guy's story, and it's just awful. But he's a veteran, and he hears and he listens to his story, and then he gives him his cell phone number and says, "I know you don't have a phone, but find somebody to make a call and call it if you need something." And then he takes them over to the store and gets him a face mask and a pair of gloves, and tells me that that it's it's people like well people like his classmates and and people like his high school that have made him change and think about homeless people and and you think about that guy that veteran who's got who's got a little bit of a better life because of a, some kid driving by him every day you know those stories there then there are a million of them yeah. you know and we don't hear them yeah and it, of course, makes well, we do hear them here. Yeah, well, the story fits. Website, and we got to hear them. Yeah, you're going to hear you're going to hear them more often. This was this was the line, and I'm going to try and come up with a great quote each time. I had a couple of them last time. I don't know whether they're great because I don't remember them, but they're written down somewhere. If you're more fortunate than others, build a larger table, not a taller fence. Hmm. Love it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that one on a poster. Uh, we talked about millennials earlier, Bob. They, this is statistics now. They give more to charity by percentage than the baby boomers. Mm. And boy, people are... Teaching the adults, I love Yes. You know, we hear a lot of baby boomers, which you and I are... T I'm a classic. 
You know, I'm 1955. You can't be more classic. 1960. You're 46 to 64. If you got dyslexia, you got them both covered. So there you, you got them both covered. My, my dad, my dad said that classic walked out of high school while he was still walked out of high school and signed up, went in the navy, and uh, and then got out and and got his high school diploma in the mail <laughs> after fighting in the Pacific, and and then he meets my mom and they get married in '48 and have six kids between '49 and 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 '61. So I'm classic '55, right in the middle of the '50s. Right. So I'm a baby boomer, and I hear millennials are given more percentage-wise than baby boomers, and they do better research than baby boomers about the charities that they're giving to. They ask more questions. They got Google. They got, <laughs> they got, no, no, Bob. Do you know the way a, a baby boomer says that? They have the Google. Oh, they, they have the Google. Well, yeah, it's the, Google's a noun that you're gets... talking to Forrest Gump. Yeah, well, no, the, it is Google. I'm saying that people like me, me say the, the Google. With you. <laughs> one of the other people, and this is the one I really want to make sure I talk about. His name is Daryl Davis. And to me, this, this person is a real live American hero. And more people need to know about this guy. He's a descendant of slaves. He's a blues musician, pretty successful guy. And he has had his, since he was 10 years old in the suburbs of Boston, when he was put down by a bunch of kids, he was playing a game with a bunch of kids, and he was put down because he's black, and, he's, and he didn't understand it. He says, why, why do you hate me? They said, we hate you. Why do you hate me? Because you're black. Well, that's no reason to hate me. That's just because I'm black. And it didn't make any sense to him. So he's met his entire life trying to figure out why people would hate each other just because of that. So he, he walks, he drives when he's on breaks from playing. He drives to places and talks to Ku Klux Klan, wizards, imperial wizards, and grand dragons. He goes and finds them and begins conversations with them. And he doesn't go to the backwoods. He goes to the ones that are in the news. And says, I, want to touch, so I just want to talk to you. And he gets kicked, stoned, attacked, and talked to. And he listens. And he says the, ma- the best thing that he's ever done was learn to listen. Oh, what a well, they ought to listen to that. How about we call Washington on that one? And he learned to listen to the people on the other side of what would be his aisle. And he said, Now you might think when you're an Imperial Grand Dragon, you're talking about Ku Klux Klan and you're a person of, of love and faith, that there is no other side. There's no room for that. But he said, No, no, no. They're human beings. I go listen. And what has happened is amazing. He is <laughs> he has a closet full of full of old uh, Ku Klux Klan capes and things. Wow. They send them to him and say, "Say, I'm out. Wow, you did it. Yeah, I'm out." They're and looking he, for a way out. And he, sure they were. And that's exactly right, Bob. Yeah. They're looking. They're looking for a way out. They're looking. The, the answers they got are the wrong answers, and they know it. And here comes Daryl Davis. Yeah, and after uh, Charlotte's, after Charlottesville, he went down there, and there was a guy down there, and he's still talking to him. And when he went down there for the second time to meet with the guy, the first thing they do is they walk. There's a crowd of people there, both sides, and they walk up and hug each other. Can you see? Can you imagine this? Mm-hmm. One's, one's got a rebel camp, right. and one's a black guy, and they're hugging each other. The black people are yelling at Daryl Davis, and the white people are yelling at this guy. Yeah, <laughs> and, they, and they got to go have his con- They can't even have a conversation, and they, had, they went and had a conversation. Now, he's met with him twice, mm-hmm. and right now the guy said, I would never been in the same building with you before, and now I want to meet with you a third time. And he said... He said, I'll get him. That's where I'm headed. Daryl Davis. I can't even know there's people out there like that. Yeah. Well, love wins, Fitz. I mean, it's all, it's all, it sounds like it. God gave us two ears and one mouth, you know, for, for a reason. My, my dad says you're supposed to use them proportionally, right? So, um, 
you know, we got to listen. We got to sit down and break faith. I don't care if we're from different faiths or different races. Pick it out. You know, one of the things I'm I, I, I'm fascinated by today. I love to watch people. I love to study history. It's too easy to get wrapped around the axle on whatever we're doing today. Whatever's the most important thing. What we're doing. But if we step back, I think the biggest industry today, and I read and I study as much as I can, is anger. People have never seen them more angry than they are today. More polarized. More whatever. Whatever righteousness on their side. You know what? And I think that's the devil's playground. I think that's what he would want him to do. You know, but we know how the game ends. We know we know who wins the game. So thank God for these stories. And, and thank God for people like Daryl Davis who's telling us the other way. And the other way is listen. Right. Why don't you sit down and listen to the other person? And and, and then let's just face it. It's not happening a lot, but it is happening more than people think. And that's what this is all about. That's what this show is all about. The story fits. And good news fitsall.com. That is my website. And thanks to Bob Lyman for this great hour. Boy, it flew by, Bob, didn't it? Did fly. Michael was right. He got the over. <laughs> we got the over. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk again Merry soon. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. God bless y'all. I'm Juliana Taimarazi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council in Chicago. Our culture needs Catholic Radio as a tool for evangelization and catechesis. As a powerful platform, Catholic Radio brings Christ to us all and brings us closer to Christ. Get the real Catholic news from Catholic Radio. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Thank you.